We're in the beginning of our new series, David, a man after God's own heart. Um, as I shared before, this series is, uh, in a way, other than the Proverbs and Psalms, our first a teaching series on the Old Testament text. And Old Testament has so much of a text, even today, the entire chapter is our, our text for today. So I'm anxious to really get to the heart of it. Um, and my study's been in First Samuel and Second Samuel has been so rich. I really need to struggle, needed to struggle what to keep and what to throw away. Um, so God willing, today I'm hoping that God will help me to share what he placed on my heart, even if it's an 80% of impact that I received. I'll, I'll be glad and joyful. Let's start with a quick recap. <clears throat> Whether you were here last Sunday or not, um, the David story, the beginning of David's life, something that uh, we cannot just skip is the context of King Saul. And as you all know, King Saul was the first king of Israel. Before King Saul, Israel was ruled by more of a decentralized 12 tribes in the land given to them, inherited to them after the deliverance from the Egypt. And as they're settling down, there was no central government. The 12 tribes held elders, and then Israel as a whole, God has given them judges. Judges like Gideon, Judges like Samson. But these judges were not king. And then what Israelites are beginning to see is that their power, military power, has been weakened and they lost several battles, war against the nations around them. And their desire to be like the nations. Give us a king. I know you said, Samuel, we have king, our Yahweh, the Lord. But give us a king whom we can see so that we might become, this is a key word for them, become like all other nations. All nations have a king. Let our king lead us into the battle and win over the world. So Saul was actually the people's choice for Israel's demand. And although Paul, uh, Saul started as a humble man, in 1 Samuel uh, 2 or 3, when Samuel came to anoint Saul and to proclaim that he is the king of Israel now. He was humble and shy enough. He hid himself among the baggages. So think about that. And later on, when Samuel was uh, rebuking him, you were little in your own eyes. He really thought of himself as little. But over the years, what happened to his heart? He became quite big in his own eyes. He built a monument when he had a victory over Philistines. And then because of that, gradually he became self-conceited. And to Saul, God became a means to an end, a useful God. In our church, we use that. Instead of sovereign God who calls us to participate in his plan, he needs God to cooperate with him 
to get things done, even in the worship service, offering sacrifice, burnt offering, to win over God's favor on them as you're going into the war, he disobeyed God's command to wait for prophet or uh, high priest Samuel to come because designated only the high priest and priest can offer the burnt sacrifices. He did it himself. And also in chapter 15, God commanded complete judgment on Amalekites. He saved the king. He saved the best livestock. In other words, this was really the spoil. They're not supposed to gain anything out of that battle. But he disobeyed and rationalized, saying, I have kept the best ones for the sacrifice. Isn't it for the Lord? Isn't that good, Samuel? When Samuel was confronting him, he finally admitted that. I am sorry, I have sinned. But and yet, even self-rationalization went into his repentance also. It's half-hearted repentance. How did it happen? Because he would say, now forgive me, but come with me Honor me in front of my elders. He was more concerned about how people see him rather than how God sees him. And Samuel declared, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you. And that's the context of going into today. On the other side, we started to think about... um, what really matters to God and why David is called a man after God's own heart. And consider this passage in chapter 15. I mean, well, actually, chapter 15, verse 21 to 22. Um, to, to Saul, who are saying, Oh, my good reason. I have a good reason for disobeying God's command, specific command, because it was for the sacrifice. And to which Samuel says this very well-known verse, you know, from which the context is here. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So before we go into actual God's choosing of his king, David, and he was a really teenager back then, let's look at how we uh, ended our sermon last week. Unlike Saul, who was people's choice, David was God's choice. And this is the reason why our church continually uses the English Standard Version, ESV. Uh, ESV has a very, I think, ideal tension between the literal translation of the biblical text, the biblical language, Hebrew and Greek, and the equivalence of dynamic of understanding readable language. So most versions that uh, you would read, including NIV and other translations, would not have this. So we'll look at that. But in verse 1, the literal translation is, the Lord says, I have chosen a king for myself from among the sons of Jesse. Instead of, I've chosen a king among the sons of Jesse, 
the Lord said, I have chosen a king for myself. This is hence is the God's choice. Of course, the, uh, King Saul was approved by God. Go ahead and obey the voice of the people, Samuel. And here is the man. He was tall, taller than anybody in the Israelites, among the Israelites. And the scripture says in chapter 10, how would you like to hear, hear that about him? There was no man that is more, more handsome than Saul in, the, in Israel. So he was looking at that as, wow, he's the king material, and everybody loved him. And then he had a humility back then. So the, the question that we asked is, so was God's choice of David conditional or unconditional? Because our church has been continually teaching on the unconditional, absolute free choice of God and sovereign will of God in every believer. Well, there are two choices, two types of choice, God's choice. One is for salvation. That is absolutely free, unconditional choice. The free meaning God is absolutely free from affected, not being affected by any thing or anyone. So the choosy doesn't get to decide the, the choice of God. God as a sovereign chooser has chosen each one of us for salvation. But actually, God's choice for the task in office like king or leader of the church, it, it, it is a conditional choice. But conditional choice not in the sense that everything belongs to human merit. Actually, what has God called for the right type of heart and God's grace is continually working on the person, the molding of, the making of the leader, the person who would do that task is actually grace of God as well. So let's not look at that and saying, well, David was a special man. He's called it, you know, in his teenage years, a man after God's own heart. So I'm not like him, and I'm going to distance myself. It's a good study, but it's, it doesn't really apply to me. No. I, I told you before, God's training program, as soon as he was anointed, even today, it's Texas. Texas instead of palace, he goes back to the field to, as a shepherd. And it takes 10 plus years of trials, of escaping from the hands of his enemy, King Saul. All kinds of problems. He finally was anointed, and he was a different man already. And even through that, God continually sustains him. So I have an encouragement for you. For, for those of you who are saying, I'll never become king or even leader of the nation, or even in leader in our church, so I'm going to check myself out of there. No. This message is actually for every single one of us who desire to be a pleasing son and daughter of God. How do you really please God? He delights in you. He wants to use you for your glory, which means every single one of us. If you, if you belong to Christ. So God's choice is you're not exceptional leader only, but every single one of us. What do you need in order to be used by God as you long to be used by God? So just remember those two terms again as we go in. Monorism. Mono meaning one. Energy or work. Monergism is work of one. 
sovereign God. That's for salvation. Synergism, sin means together. Work of working together, God's grace, according to responding to my obedience and faithfulness in the Lord. So that, that's hence the reason that this study is very applicable for every single one of us in everyday life. So, <clears throat> Acts 13, verse 21 to 23, this is actually a summary of uh, our series on David. This is Apostle Paul's preaching to the Jewish people in his missionary journey, and he summarized David this way. Verse 21 of chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. So without further ado, let's look at actual moment of selection, God's choice in chapter 16. And we could draw at least three lessons, what God is like and what God's method or God's way is like. Number one, lesson number one is God chooses a person for a task, a role, not according to the outward appearance, but according to the heart of a person. Verse one, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I think Samuel got excited. He was depressed. What will happen to the nation of Israel? Uh, The nation that belongs to God. Now king has been rejected. And then when, as soon as God says, fill your horn and with oil and go, he knew there will be a new king. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. This is what I mentioned. I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Unlike Saul, that God approved giving of king. Saul was his own choice for his own sovereign purpose and will. Verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If, I, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. Why do you think so? Because he had declared to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you. You will never king, never be a king anymore. And then, oh, just pre- please forgive me and come with me. And Samuel, to the king's face, he said, I will not go with you. And that was the last time he ever seen Saul. And the scripture said he didn't see him until the death of King Saul. So there's a fear, natural fear. Oh, King Saul might think of my action as a treason. Because he was officially still king, right? Let's go back. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. 
and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? Do you come in peace? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked in, on Eliab and thought, Surely the, Lord, the Lord's anointed is before him. And as you, most of you probably know that expression, the Lord's anointed, meaning in Old Testament king, installation of the king was started with anointing of the oil. That actually symbolism for Spirit, Holy Spirit coming upon him. And verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as men sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I think it's interesting to notice Samuel's excitement. Eliab, the first son, shows up. I probably just his desire for that. Here's my son. Isn't he good looking? He really looked like leader, born leader. Actually, Saul type of person. By looking at him, he was a warrior. By looking at him, he was a born leader. He was good looking. He was tall. He was well built. That's why Samuel was excited. And the first principle comes out of that. The Lord says, do not look at the outward appearance because I see, I look on the heart. Just want you to know this. If we don't really follow God's heart, our default mode is a worldly value system. System, So we look at outward experience. And not only the good looks, it could be the title that comes with him, the money that comes with him, or her. Whether, whether he has this or she has this externally, degree, intellectual record of award winnings or whatnot, and which school that person went to, what kind of leadership skills that they acquired over the years. I want you to know this. The first lesson that we need to learn is become countercultural. Look at God's values and value the things that God values around us. Because it really happens within the church as well. The New Testament, the qualification, condition for God's choice, the church leaders, there are several things. In, in first, uh, first Timothy chapter 3, or Titus 1, has a list of qualification for church leaders, deacons and elders, overseers. But if I summarize in one, this phrase comes, the man full of wisdom and spirit, the Holy Spirit, than anything else. But instead of that, contemporary churches, we need to be watching out too. In the name of relevance, in the name of encouraging even uh, the Christians who might not be Christians and churchgoers, 
and putting into the leadership because of their outward experience of education or good looks or charms and whatnot. And to be quite frank with you, the way we choose our spouses that way too. Do you really look at the heart? Because this is not saying that, oh, that what God is like is my, not, my, not my preference, almost like, you know, God, you like blue color and I like yellow color. Why can't I just like yellow? No, it's not that. In the long run, the heart will bear the fruit. And if you talk to the people who lived as a happy marriage for 40, 50 years, will tell you the importance of heart. Because the beauty and charm fades away. Proverbs 31 says, beauty and charm is deceitful. Yes. Do you long to be used by God? You ought to be. Because as a Christian, our single most important thing is glorify God and finding our joy in Him. And if so, this is not necessarily church within the church only. God resides and God supersedes all things as a sovereign king on the earth. Which means in your career, without the title, as a Christ follower, you may be chosen and used by God. If you keep your heart, stay humble and faithful, surrender to the Holy Spirit, God will use you. Have you seen those people that who started really well and became very big on their own head, it's becoming bigger and bigger, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit seems not there anymore. The church, initially, there's a growth is just exploding everywhere, and even including, including continuation, the numerical growth and other things might be there. But if you are Christ follower, you could sense that church, the Holy Spirit is anointing continually. Or the person. In New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.16, Apostle Paul's words, it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, outward appearance even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. The prophet Isaiah talks, describes the coming suffering servant, the Messiah. And one of the descriptions is, he has nothing good to look at. So he wasn't a really good-looking Hollywood movie star type of Jesus. So he walks around, he's very like a, uh, looking like a Julio Iglesias. Or <laughs> oh, I, I like the singer, that's why I mentioned it. But on top of that, because of suffering on the cross, his face was not even recognizable. And we regard him. Do you remember what they said? You said, what good thing can come from Nazareth? A little dinky city. Well, outward experience also too. Let's move on to lesson number two. God chooses the lowly and the weak so that God's power and glory would be revealed paradoxically in the world. 
And this will become clear as we are reading and digging into the text itself. Verse 8. And Jesse called Abinadab, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. Looks like second, son number two. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, son number three. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse got a little anxious now. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And now after seeing all seven and realizing God has not chosen them. Now, this time Samuel got anxious. And back of his mind, he said, Lord, didn't you say you have chosen a king for yourself among the sons of Jesse? All seven of them, I've seen them. Oh, wait a minute. He turns to Jesse. The Lord has not chosen these Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here, by the way? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. Behold, he is keeping the sheep. If we translate, paraphrase in modern words, uh, we have the runt of the family. The smallest, you know, the little dinky one. We don't really count in our family important meetings. But Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Verse 12, and he went and brought in him, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed down David from day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So a couple of things that we may, may be uh, clarification. This, uh, David was described as he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. So we must not think that those are the reasons because God does not look at the outward appearance. He sees the heart. I think one of the commentators said that I, I think I wholeheartedly agree with him. This is a description of young teenage pretty boy. He wasn't like a king type, born leader type of Eliab, tall statures and handsome, warrior looking. This is a little pretty boy, looking like a maybe K-pop star. <laughs> Not necessarily. The ruddy doesn't mean that one of the preachers said, uh, oh, as a yellow, I mean, the red hair guy, I finally feel vindicated. No, I, I think it's, it's your skin complexion of your youthfulness that he comes from the field and his complexion countenance is reddish and his beautiful eyes he looks very attentive but anyway he was not ugly looking so all those Davids in our church you guys are good looking too So notice that according to Jesse, David even didn't, wasn't counted as a prospect or candidate. Bring all your sons, seven of them. And seven, by the way, is a perfect number in, in, in Hebrew culture. And he was not number seven. He was number eight, the runt of the family. But look at this. 
By the way, this is not the first time God does this. God's strangely unconventional, paradoxical method of choosing people, he goes for the lowly. He goes for the weak. He didn't choose Esau, but he chose the younger one, Jacob. He didn't choose Leah. I mean, he didn't choose Rachel, who was a pretty, amazing looking, with a family, the physical appearance was just so attractive. And Jacob fell in love with her attractiveness. But he chose Leah, who had problem with his, her eyes, and no attraction whatsoever, and who was barren. He chose Hannah. who was continually becoming concerned about not having baby, crying out. That's how First uh, Samuel begins. You know who Samuel's mom was? Hannah. He, she cried out to God for mercy to give her son when he was ridiculed by others. Well, same thing. He chose Sarah over young, fertile Hagar. She chose a teenage girl named Mary. To bury the child and son of God. So we need to be very cautious about this whole deal. And let me just clarify one thing. That doesn't mean if you have anything, you have a good background and you went to good school, that doesn't mean that God is opposing you. God, what God is opposing is human pride and human boasting. By choosing the weak and lowly, God brings his glory without any room for human pride. That's how God continually works. So what we need to be watched for is not the good things we have, but the denouncing of ourself in that. No room for pride. No room for boasting. You know, we tend to do that, right? Even if we despise about some of the brokenness that we came from, from my your background. Family background. But things that, good things that we still want to tag along with it. In my, my simple case, you heard about me, my story over and over. My dad was a physician, he was a medical doctor. And because of that, I was the youngest one. I have some trauma of feeling like David. I was the runt of the, not necessarily body wise, but in terms of my opinion didn't count. But and yet, Whenever I think about other things about my worth, I think about my dad's medical background. He was respected. When I think about my mom's um, quite colorful education background, that she was deeply respected by other women. It's all prestige and status. But I want to tag along with that. And the Lord says, Will you denounce yourself and your pride in it so that God may glorify, be glorified by exalting you? There are two passages. In Old Testament, Hannah, and in, in New Testament, Mary. Look at what they are praising, singing God for, and praying to God. Very similar thing. Talk no more, Hannah says, very proudly, let not arrogance come from your mouth. The bows of the mighty are broken. The people, the feeble bind on strength. The Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. As if Mary kind of got inspirations. When, he, when she sang the famous Mary song, Magnificat, she 
says similar things. He has shown, in Luke 1, 51, strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of, the, of their hearts. He has brought, the, brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those who are of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Paul, who is more systematic of teaching and guiding, puts it this way. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29. To the Gentiles living in Greek world, he writes, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God about himself. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, after he asked to kill whatever the thorn, the illness, he has a constant ailment, physical ailment. Three times he said, God said no. Answer was no. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is, grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For I am weak when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's make this very clear. Paul is not talking about his own sin, his own mistakes, but he's thinking, talking about persecutions and hardships that humbles him. He felt so weak, and he began to realize that God is strong in that. You know how paradoxical this is, how countercultural this is. You go to any leadership seminar, they will say, build on your strength. The scripture says, and actually the, the weaknesses that God has given you, even the things that humble you, those are the things actually God used for his glory. Why is God's grace sufficient for Paul? Because that was the reason Paul was absolutely staying humble. And he saw the value in that. Sisters, brothers, before we go on, I know my time's running out again. I think I need to make this very clear. Do you have anything that is difficult for you? You feel like, oh, I wish just I could get rid of us, rid of this. Whether your child's health issue or your, your parents' health issue or your own health issue, whether you're struggling with the financial difficulties, whether you feel weak and lack of confidence in certain area. So know that you are qualified to be exalted by God. If you stay humble, if you continue to surrender. Lesson number three. God chooses a person for his purpose. God empowers. When God chooses a person for his purpose, God empowers him or her through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is given as a provision. Verse 13. Then we're going back to 13 again because of uh, the clarity of concept. Verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a humble spirit 
from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit of, from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit is from God is upon you, he will play it and, he, and you will be well. In other words, have a, we have a recommendation. Music therapy for your torment. What is a harmful spirit? God does never do evil on his own. But God allows, he's a sovereign, ultimately sovereign person, so a sovereign God, that he could even allow evil to uh, fulfill his purposes. Babylon was an evil nation, was used, allowed to invade, and the exiles happened. And the problem of uh, the people, Israelites, was that God will never do that. No, actually God uses even evil people to bring his, to his purposes. So this language is, the Old Testament language is more for human perspective. And if we look at it in theological perspective, it should, it should say God allowed evil spirit to torment and in, as, as, as for what the evil spirit looks like, is maybe it's in his own heart when he's so jealous and so going through all this anxiousness that itself is used by the evil spirit to do that. So they recommend music therapy. And not only that, they recommend the person who could to the music therapy. Verse 17. So Saul said to his servant, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Remember, this is just right after uh, David was anointed as a prophetic moment of that, but it takes another 12 years or so later. But, but one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And therefore Saul sent messenger to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with the bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to his, by David his son to Saul. Verse 21. And David came to Saul and entered his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. Saul, the Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. The question, a couple of questions for, for our meditation. Was it music skill that David had? And music skill only was something else worked in here. Remember, the Holy Spirit is given to him. I think David's fullness of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit enabled supernatural things to do his service well. And same thing. Do you have a talent? And do you have a what, what uh, God has given you? you? Something that you do well? You could do it for yourself and naturally. But if you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the measure is supernatural. That's how God wants us to do. On the other hand, every king is anointed with oil. Actually, the Holy Spirit came. And there was a passage, an earlier passage, Saul was prophesying because of the Holy Spirit when he was humble and following, following God. 
but because the rejection of the Lord, Holy Spirit departed. And that's the difference with, with David. Holy Spirit never left him, even through the difficult times. There was a crisis when he had adult, committed adultery with Bathsheba and murder to cover up what he did. His most fearful thing as a consequence of sin is not his kingship, the throne. In Psalm 51 said, Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. That's what King David's earnest prayer. And God continually stayed with him, even the difficult times after those consequences and ramification of his sin. So the, the so much of a benefit for us. We're living in a new, new covenant era. In Old Testament, only king and prophet was anointed and the Holy Spirit dwelled on, him, on them. In the new covenant, all believers, all regenerate believers in Christ are given at the moment of salvation the Holy Spirit. How wonderful it is. And at the same time, the way that we could serve the Lord is through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it's both things happening, right? Now, not only our salvation, but in our service to the Lord. But the same principles continue as with Saul and David. The Lord requires our obedience, our surrender to the Holy Spirit, and our faithfulness in our service. Let me wrap up with quick um, application. There are three. It, it's more summary. And you, you already probably caught those three things straight and application-wise. Let me summarize it this way. Number one, we are to value and cultivate the inner qualities, qualities of the heart rather than focusing on the outer appearance as followers of Christ. Let's not become confirmed to worldly values. And not only on our own self-worth. When we look at others, resist the temptation at looking at the worldly things. Do not judge or judge in a way. Do not figure out, evaluate a person by the appearance. Whether it's a skin color, whether it's their education background, whether what kind of city that they came from, ethnicity, whether, whether they, they went to good school or not, whether they have titles or not. Number two, we are to gladly boast of our weaknesses, realizing that God's power is made perfect in weakness for his glory. I'm reiterating again. The thing that you are most lack, you lack most the confidence in. The thing that you want to get rid of because it continually humiliates you, humbles you. Embrace that. Or let's apply as a church. Let's stop thinking that we're just small church. What can, what can God expect from us? If we go beyond that, our weaknesses as a small church, if we are surrendered, and God will use us, supernatural salt of this city, a supernatural light that our nation needs. Number three, we are to seek spirit dependence, trusting that Holy Spirit would enable us to do our task, role, once again, this is not actually office uh, only. The titles of like elders in our church. You're not a home group leader. You're not a men's group leader, woman's group leader. In, in your own way, 
God can continue to choose to use you without even title. Would you depend on the Spirit rather than your own strength and your own effort? I close with this. I think hearing about uh, Steve Giordano's crossway story, I think this is well-fitting for people like Steve, who are many of, like many of us. Alan Redpath, and the one of, once again, the, the making of a God, the man of God, his book on David. I couldn't stop reading it. And just, this is one of the more, another excerpt I need to share. To educate and refine the flesh, sorry about that, is... Let's start again. To educate and refine the flesh that it may become profitable in his service is never God's plan. He insists on the sentence of death upon everything you and I are in ourselves. All that we are apart from what we are given by his grace at the moment of our regeneration is sentenced to God's judgment. No matter how intellectual or proud or clever or good we may be, there is only one place for all that is self on Calvary. You may not be intellectual or well thought of in your family circle. You may be despised by others for your faith in Christ. Perhaps you had only a little share in the love of your parents as David did. But remember, that those who are rejected of man often become beloved by the Lord. Your faith in the Lord Jesus may be weak, and you may realize a little of the dignity which Christ has purposed for you, but the thought of God towards you began before he flung a star into space. Then he wrote before The sky was stretched out in the heavens. Yet in his abundant mercy, God God can scoop down from heaven's highest glory to lift up a beggar from the dunghill and set him among princes. And my prayer for each one of us is that we see God's heart so that we are not swayed by the worldly standards. And the more we are looking at God's heart, that we will reflect his heart, that our passion and longing to be used by God for his glory and his glory only will increase. And we desire with all our passion to decrease. May that be true in our church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your penetrating word. These principles are not too difficult to understand at all. But our worldly mind doubts so much of whether we could camp on this and really settle on this. Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. Help us see the things that God values, the things that God's, on God's heart, that we may become more like David not like Saul. And Lord, uh, we pray for those of us who underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit within us, that you will open the eyes of our heart, that we may see and long to be used by you for your glory. 
And our prayer for our church is that that you will open our eyes uh, to your desire. That you will look at the lowly, the small, and help us to see your glory becoming our fullest joy and being used by you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.